We've always been here Every single year From ancient gaze right up to today See, history is queer Some think it's a new way But we've got something to say History is very, 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 very gay Hey everyone, Lee here for a fun bonus episode of History is Gay today. I am very excited because I am bringing you a conversation with someone who has been uh, one of my favorite authors for many years, and I'm so excited that I get to talk to her about queer history stuff. I am talking to Melinda Lowe today. I'm very excited. I was uh, a tiny queer reading things like Ash and Huntress and finding wonderful queer YA stories. And she has been writing some really wonderful books that have started dipping into a lot of really great queer historical fiction. So I'm really excited for us to have a conversation. Melinda is the New York Times bestselling author of Last Night at the Telegraph Club, which is the winner of the National Book Award, the Stonewall Book Award, and the Asian Pacific American Award for Literature, as well as the Michael L. Prince and Walter Dean Myers Honors. And she is here today to chat about Last Night at the Telegraph Club, but also her new book coming out on October 4th, A Scatter of Light. So hi, Melinda. How are you? Hi, Lee. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited. Could you tell folks who are listening just a little bit more about you and what you do beyond a tiny little bio? Well, gee, let me see. Um, so Start at the beginning. At the beginning. Um, <laughs> well, I, I've been on, I don't know if this is the beginning, but I have been on the internet for a long time because in the early days before I wrote novels, I was an entertainment reporter writing for lesbian and gay media. Um, I worked for the original After Ellen when we were just babies on the internet and there was no other gay media on the internet. Right. Um, that was... In the early 2000s, uh, think way back. Yeah, way back. It is it is a long, long time ago now. And so I, I did that for quite a while. And then um, when my first novel, Ash, was published in 2009, I left that day job talking to TV people and writing TV reviews. And I became a young adult novelist, which I had never purposely set out to do. <laughs> Um, just kind of fell in. I did. I kind of fell into it because my novel, Ash, is a a sapphic retelling of Cinderella. I used to describe it as a lesbian retelling of Cinderella, but now we use the word sapphic, and it's actually a bit more inclusive, and I think it fits a little bit better. So I wrote it, but I didn't intend it to be a young adult novel necessarily, but when I was finished and it went out on submission, that's where it fit in the publishing world. So my publisher, Little Brown, asked me to write a second book on my contract, and that turned out to be Huntress, which is a hero's quest about two girls who travel to the land of the Fairy Queen to save their kingdom. So that's how I got started, and I'm still doing YA now. How many years later? 13 years later? Yeah, yeah. It's a long time. I'm not sure how many, how much more YA I have in me, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's going to be like such a very specific uh, 
type of writing to like niche down into. Uh, yeah, I'm getting old, um, basically. <laughs> You're like, hmm, hmm, what are the gay youths doing now? Shockingly, I'm not a teenager. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that my time in, in YA is is limited <laughs> is, is come is is limited yeah. going to a close yeah. well i mean you know it's it's you you have to employ uh you know some of our favorite things which is research right you know if you are <laughs> if you are no longer if you are no longer uh the youths you have to research what the yes. youths are doing now yes. um but you know that's a lot easier when you are researching what the youths are doing in the 1940s yeah maybe, that was when there's fun. a whole bunch of stuff there's a lot yeah. of stuff to research about that i mean that was a that was a fascinating part of of my research learning what teens did <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean let's talk a little bit about that about that so last night at the telegraph club is the story of two sapphic teen girls in the 1950s in san francisco mostly focusing around chinatown and it's like coming of age story and also it's a really wonderful kind of queer history deep dive of what these you know girls are discovering about their identities and what lesbian and queer life looks like and queer Asian American life looks like in the 1950s. So let's talk a little bit about that. Just where did this story come from for you? How did you kind of shift from telling stories that are grounded more in fantasy or like fairy tale to, you know, moving into this kind of historical space? Well, I'm the kind of author who never does the same thing twice, um, Mm -hmm. which is, everyone says that's really bad for your career in publishing. (laughs) So, uh, you know, what can I say? I'm ornery. Um, you have so. you have done the same thing twice. You're you're YAing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. There you go. What, that's, you that, can tell that. You, you can tell that to the publishers. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, so after Ash and Huntress, then I wrote two science fiction thrillers. So they were set in the contemporary, like in 2012 when I wrote them. And then I wrote a psychological thriller set at the time that I wrote that, which was 2017. So by the time I got to Last Night at the Telegraph Club, I was several books away from fantasy. However, historical fiction was kind of like a return to fantasy, I have Mm. to say, because you have to build the world of 1954 San Francisco for the reader. And I used a lot of the same tools that I used when writing fantasy to show that world to the reader. The novel actually started as a short story. I wrote it for an anthology called All Out, The No Longer Secret Stories of Queer Teens Throughout the Ages. Long Mm. subtitle. And the short story was inspired by two nonfiction books I had been reading, both histories. One was Rise of the Rocket Girls by Natalia Holt, which was about the women computers who worked at the Jet Propulsion Lab in the 40s and 50s. And the other book I was reading was Wide Open Town by Nan Ella Miller Boyd, uh, which is a queer history of San Francisco. So Wide Open Town and Rise of the Rocket Girls have nothing to do with each other. (laughs) But I was kind of reading them around the same time. And in my brain, they came together to inspire the character of 17-year-old Lily. And Lily lives in Chinatown. She is obsessed with rocket science. She wants to be like her aunt who works at JPL. And she's also starting to think she might be a lesbian. And she sees some lesbians in San Francisco. Well, she doesn't know they're lesbians. She sees some women that she's strangely intrigued by. (laughs) And she wants to know what's going on with them. So she and her uh, classmate, Kath, start going to this lesbian bar called The Telegraph Club, which is fictional and was inspired by a lot of the bars that I read about in Wide Open Town. 
So that's kind of a nutshell of where the novel came from. Oh, so that was the story. Actually, the story was just the very beginning of that. And I thought that was all it was. But I was talking about it with my literary agent. And he said, this could really be a novel. I mean, it was clear I had over-researched the story. (laughs) And I had a lot more to say. So even though I didn't think it was a novel when I started working on it, I realized he was right. And so then I decided to turn it into a novel. And thankfully, my editor was really into that. So soon I had to write a novel set in 1954 San Francisco, which was a little shocking to me because I knew very little about it. I mean, I had done some research for the story, but you need to do like 10,000 times more research to write a novel. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, so how how did you go about that research? Like, what did that entail? Uh, you had, you know, your kind of your, your base uh, places where you started, but you know, how do you drill down into that? What surprised you about Mm. the research? What was the process of finding all of this out? Well, I started out by reading very broad histories of the 1950s, because I the only thing I knew about the 50s was like stereotypes that I picked up through popular media, like leave it to beaver. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I really had to get my get to know the 1950s. And that is where I came to become interested in things like McCarthyism, the Red Scare. And I was interested in setting it in the Chinese American community. So I started researching what that was like in San Francisco in the 1950s, which led me to read a lot about the Miss Chinatown pageant, because there's been a lot of really good research on Chinatown festivals and beauty pageants. And of course, I went back to Wide Open Town, I totally scrutinized (laughs) all of the chapters in that book about the 50s bar scene. And I read all the footnotes and one of the footnotes, one of the key footnotes to a sentence. The sentence basically said that lesbians of color used to go to the Forbidden City, which was a restaurant in Chinatown. But that's all it said about that. And I was like, lesbians of color in Chinatown, tell me more. (laughs) So elaborate. Yes, please elaborate. So I looked up the footnote and it was from an interview that the author, the historian had done with a resident, a San Francisco resident. And that interview was archived at the GLBT Historical Society. So I was thinking, wow, okay, well, I got to go there and I have to listen to this interview. (laughs) (laughs) So eventually I did. I went back to San Francisco I live in Massachusetts now. I used to live in San Francisco. So I went back to San Francisco to go to the archives there and to walk around the city and kind of familiarize myself with all of the locations in the book. So there was that location research. And I went Mm -hmm. to the, I was also researching teens at the time. So I went to the San Francisco Public Library and looked at all the yearbooks from Galileo High School, which is the high school that Lily goes to in the book. So that was all really fun. I I enjoyed it so much. (laughs) Oh, good. What did you know before going into like wide up in town about what like queer community, queer nightlife looked like in the 50s this time? And, And did your own relationship to your to your own queerness and journey in the queer community shift or change through the process of writing this novel and also, you know, what you just finished and is coming out? Um, This is an interesting question. I didn't know much about the gay community in the 50s. I had already read Boots of Leather, Slippers of Gold. I think I'd already read that book because I've always been interested in queer history. (laughs) So I had read that, but that was um, a history 
that was focused in the northeast, I think, and around yeah, Buffalo, I think it's New like York. A, like a, yeah, 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 like more rural, right? Uh, working class New York, right? So yeah. I was, and I was aware just from living in San Francisco that there had been well-known lesbian bars like Mods that used to exist that people still talked about in the early two thousands when I was out and about in the in the community, but I didn't know a lot of specifics. So it was really interesting to dive into those specifics, and I I read wide open town. I went and listened to. I looked at several of the interviews in the archives. I did a lot of reading of newspaper articles about bar raids. I did as much secondary research as I could. And obviously, you can't visit a 1954 lesbian bar. So I used a lot of my own experience of going to lesbian clubs and bars in San Francisco in the early 2000s. Because in the course of the research, I realized the places that I went to at that time were kind of located in very similar buildings in San Francisco. They had the same layouts that were described in Wide Open Town. Like you enter and you walk down this long hallway where there's the bar. The bartender's watching you when you walk in. You walk all the way down there. And then in the back of the bar, there's like a bigger room where there's room for dancing, right? So I realized we had inherited those spaces from the queer people of earlier generations. And when I realized that, it was just an incredible feeling to know that I had experienced that legacy. And it really helped me to write about it in the book in a way that I think is realistic. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, you really get a a sense of just being there. And you do a really wonderful job of just like kind of painting that picture. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, and so then, you know, let's talk a little bit about A Scatter of Light is uh, you've kind of continued Lily and Kath's story a little bit into the fight for marriage equality and bringing that, that thread of queer civil rights into into that. Can you tell a little bit about what you're doing for that novel? Sure. So A Scatter of Light is a companion novel to Last Night at the Telegraph Club. I wouldn't say it's a direct sequel because it's about a totally different character. So Lily and Kath, you will find out a little bit more about them in A Scatter of Light, but it's not about them. So I just want to warn people, <laughs> they're not going to read the continuing adventures of Lily and Compa- Kath. Companion. Yes, Companion. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it is set in 2013. And the funny thing is, it's set in 2013, because that's when I wrote the first draft. I wrote it before Last Night at the Telegraph Club. And it wasn't until I was writing Telegraph Club that I realized the two books were connected. And so after Telegraph Club was finished, I went back to A Scatter of Light and revised it and linked them in a way that you'll have to read the book to find out how. (laughs) Um, So it's set in 2013. And that is the summer when Proposition 8 was overturned and same-sex marriage was legalized in California. I think it was not legalized nationally until 2015 when DOMA was overturned. Yeah. So... It is said in that summer, it's about an 18-year-old girl named Aria Tong West, and she is sent to spend the summer with her grandmother, who's an artist uh, named Joan West, in Marin County in Woodacre. So Aria doesn't really want to go there. (laughs) She thought she was going to be doing something else that summer. Um, But she gets to Woodacre, and she realizes that she's unexpectedly attracted to this woman named Steph, who's working as her grandmother's gardener. Like, this is not something that was on Arya's radar. She did not think this was a possibility for her. So the book is really about... It's a coming-of-age novel, again. It's set between high school and college. It's about 
kind of complex, difficult first love situation. I want to warn you, it's not a romance. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that it is... I love this book. It's also about art, uh, because Joan is an artist, her grandmother, and it's about Aria understanding that she is more than who she thought she was, you know, Mm. in many ways. Right. I'm excited for it. Um, Let's go back a little bit, because so so you published Ash in 2009, Yes, right? 2009. Um, In the Dark Ages. In the Dark Ages. Um, The days where LiveJournal... Was, was yes. still a thing. Live journal um, <laughs> was still a thing in 2009. You're right. That's my that's my uh that's my fandom <laughs> fandom history coming in here. Um so okay, so the so the landscape for queer writing, queer fiction, you know, uh, the representation of like queer people of color in fiction and also just publishing world in general is kind of a different landscape than we are in now. We see so much more opportunities for people's experiences reflected in media now. Um, what changes have you noticed in how your work is being received and also being sought out now versus then when you were starting? It's been a sea change. It's really been a huge, huge difference. When Ash came out, I was often the only openly queer author at a book festival or a book panel, you know, and I was I was definitely the only Asian American lesbian there, you know, like there weren't very I mean, there were people in the audience. Um, but I usually had to out myself on those panels. And sometimes that could be really stressful. Um, because you're never quite sure who's in the room. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's different now. Um, now I do many more events. In recent years, I've done many more events where we are all queer authors. And that's amazing. So that growth has been incredible. I'm I'm really glad to have seen it and to have been a part of it. I think for me, another huge change has been the success of Last Night at the Telegraph Club, which really uh, I did not expect. Like, I didn't write a historical novel about a queer Chinese-American girl in San Francisco in the 50s, expecting it to be a big <laughs> breakout hit. Like, this is not, it doesn't scream, you know, teen vampires or anything like that, right? <laughs> So that was kind of a shock to me. And since Telegraph Club came out, I have certainly had a lot more interest in my books. And I'm hoping that people will find my old ones too, you know? I still think those were good books. (laughs) I think that I would love it if people could find them now. Um, (laughs) So it's been a huge difference. It's just amazing to see what has happened. But at the same time, there's a lot of pushback. Like now there's a lot more queer YA. And if you haven't heard, there's a huge movement on the right to restrict schools from carrying books about LGBTQ people and Black, Indigenous, people of color characters, and also books about sexuality, like basic health guides. Like this is right. this is a widespread conservative movement to institutionalize discrimination in local and state laws. And you might hear about it in terms of book banning. You know, there's been a lot of book banning news lately, but it's not really about that. It's really about turning back the clock on our civil rights. And I think it's because of all of the changes that have happened in the last, you know, dozen years, like since Mm. same-sex marriage was legalized, like they're going after that too. And they're clearly going after the rights of transgender people. And especially, I feel especially bad for trans teens who are dealing with this at their schools where it's no longer a safe space for them. That's really tragic. 
Yeah, it's absolutely reactionary. Um, one of our most recent episodes was just really deliberately going back and, and looking at 1977, 1978, and the rise of like Anita Bryant and mm-hmm. Save Our Children because the the rhetoric is it's not even familiar it's just the same it is the same same language <laughs> it is i joke i'm, I'm like it, I, I joke that it's like it's like bigot whack-a-mole I'm like find a new find a new argument guys we've done this come on yeah they, like they, oh you're gonna bring you're gonna bring groomers back we've done this yeah they could literally be copying and pasting from that time period they i mean they literally are that i think the actual name or or title of the like don't say gay bill in florida is literally (laughs) parental rights in education act Mm -hmm. which is is the same same stuff yeah uh well i mean so what lessons can we learn on that note like from the past from going into history whether of queer folks whether of other you know marginalized identities uh you know asian americans other folks of color uh especially you know in i, I say i say post covid world not like we're af- we're we're, we're oh, over covid right. but it's we have pre covid and we have post the introduction of covid um you know especially in, in this world where at least certainly in the beginning there was a lot of really racist rhetoric running around you know what can we learn from history in the past to kind of get us through and move towards the future oh man well i feel like it's like two steps forward one step back or is it one step forward two steps back i don't know whatever is old is new again it's not over like i think for a little while we were a little bit complacent you know Mm -hmm. after Doma was overturned. Maybe in the last, the penultimate year of the Obama administration, we were like, this is great. Everything is fixed now. And then came Trump, obviously. So it's not over. Like, we have to remember that it's not over. And I, you know, I, it's just really, it's a little scary that the reactionary forces are so incredibly organized and extremely fascist. Like, I I just, we have to, we have to stand up in our local communities. I mean, people have to be organized in their local communities, just like the people on the right are, you know, it's, it's just a scary time. And I, I wish it was different. And I know everyone is very tired because of three years of COVID. (laughs) But we can't um, ignore it. And we can't be complacent. We have to vote in our elections. And we have to be organized and active in our communities. Well, and I think things like what you're doing, like providing these stories and and finding and presenting these stories of like queer joy and queer love and queer just life and existence in the past or in, you know, uh, more fantasy storytelling or just, you know, just like that fictional landscape, I think provides a buoy for people. And I think one of the things that I really enjoy about looking to our history as well is that you can look at these really scary attacks right now and say, okay, this is scary. This feels like a lot of backsliding, but it's not new. And it's, you know, something that we have done before. 
we've moved through and we can look to this as a guidebook or lessons for how to do that. Um, and I think being able to provide that to uh, especially young people, you know, if you're, you know, working in the YA space, being able to kind of provide these outlets and ways to see themselves outside of everything that's going on is really valuable and really important. So I thank you for that. Um, what are you working on right now? So a scatter of light comes out October 4th, mm -hmm. uh, remains to be seen when this, when this will actually, uh, air on the podcast, depending on <laughs> what my schedule looks like. But, uh, what are you working on now? Uh, anything new and exciting in the pipeline or, you know, what comes with, with book release? I'm about to go on a book tour for A Scatter of Light, which is very exciting. It's my first official book tour ever. I mean, I've Woo! I've done my own. I've paid for my own. But my publisher is giving me huge support for this book, which is really awesome because this is not the kind of book I thought would get this kind of support. So um, I'm, I'm really thrilled to go on this tour and talk to people. And um, it's just very, you know, since the National Book Award, almost a year ago now, I have been extremely busy. <laughs> I yeah. did not know it would change my life in this way. So actually, I have not been working on anything. <laughs> All I've been doing is book stuff, like public facing book stuff. So I'm really hoping that after this tour ends, like in December, I can go offline for several months. <laughs> take a nap. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to take a lot of naps. And I'm gonna, you know, work on some new stuff, but I, I don't have anything to tell you about right now, unfortunately. <laughs> well, and let's and let's be clear too. Like last night at the Telegraph Club, winning the National Book Award, it's one thing to like win the Stonewall Award. Last night at the Telegraph Club, it made history. It's the first queer Asian American novel to get that award, and so you know you're getting you're getting a lot of attention because of it. But I think it's 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 well earned. Um, <laughs> being able to break down that boundary, break down that barrier, it's you know it's always it's got to be a weird feeling to be like, really, am I the first? But, you know, that's... I'm well, sure hopefully that. not for long. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, just kind of wrapping up a little bit, like, what are some of your... What are some of your favorite things that you got to learn from diving into both the same-sex marriage fight and Last Night at the Telegraph Club setting? Like, what do you want readers to take away from from that? What were your favorite things? Well, whenever people ask me what I want people to take away from a book, it's interesting because I, I really try to not think about the reader when I'm writing the book. I really try to think only about the story that I'm telling and what the characters would do and what they want so this question comes after the book is finished. And so it's then it's like, well, of course, I want people to like it. <laughs> you know, I want people to <laughs> enjoy their time with the book. And at the same time, I also think that for a book like Telegraph Club, which is about a very specific kind of community, um, Lily is Chinese American, she is a lesbian, there are very few books about Chinese American lesbians. Let's just be real. So if the reader is a Chinese American lesbian, I really hope they will find something in it that they identify with. You know, I, I really hope that they do. I tried to be true to Lily and her potentially, or well, her fictional, but possible experiences. And I, I want to be, I want to be right about that, um, for people who identify as that. And 
For those who are not Chinese American lesbians, which I realize is just a very small percentage of the population, <laughs> since most of us are, obviously, um, I, I hope that they will find a window into a community and an experience that they have not personally gone through. I think that's what books do at their best. They give us a chance to experience the world through the eyes of someone else. And that really builds empathy and compassion if, well, hopefully it does, so. Which is why all of these far-right conservatives don't want those things on the shelves. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's the reasoning, right? It's, you know, stepping into somebody else's shoes, discovering new things, learning about yourself, learning about the world. It's a scary thing. It's very scary to learn about the, the world and other people because you might find out that they're human beings. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down through the magic of the internet across the country with me on this uh, My Morning, Your Afternoon. Where can people find more about you and your writing and your thoughts uh, on the internet? You can always look me up on my website, which is melindalo.com, M-A-L-I-N-D-A-L-O.com. And I'm on social media at Melinda Lowe on Twitter and Instagram. So you can find me there as well. Very cool. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.